My name is Chris Heidenberg. I'm the lead pastor of Found Church. If after the service you're wondering where you can find the current series in its entirety, you can find it online at areyoufound.com or on our Found Church Facebook page. We welcome you into our family and we look forward to the opportunity to connect with you. We would love to see you or, or meet you as soon as we're able to worship together again, hopefully sometime soon, at the middle school at Parkside at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. In the meantime, we pray that this worship experience will help you to find faith in God, find freedom for your soul, and find a love that will transform your life. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Found Church. Uh, we're going to get right to it today. We have uh, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, just so you know, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be working through uh, the tail end of chapter 5 in Romans all the way through the beginning of chapter 8. So just follow along. There aren't going to be many scriptures on the screen, but um, we're so glad to have you. I just want to open us in prayer. Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this incredible opportunity that we have to bring your truth, to bring your glory and your goodness through the word of God, through your word, Lord. We pray today that, that the words that come out of my mouth, that you would scrap anything that is not from you, Lord, that is not your truth or that people would not receive it, or not remember anything that is not your truth, Lord, but they would experience your love, they would experience your grace and mercy here today as we are being taught today what it is to walk in freedom. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all of those that are participating with us today. I thank you for those in the, in the watch parties that are, that are joining us in fellowship today. And Lord, I just pray that... Um, that they would receive your goodness and they would walk in your truth as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, you know, we, we were on trial a little bit, right? In fact, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've, we've really been on trial. And, and towards the tail end, we, we understand what it is to walk away justified. We understand what it is to walk away in the goodness and in the mercy of our Lord. And we praise that. We rejoice that. But what was it that we were actually on trial for? Have you ever wondered that? We've heard that analogy many times in our lives, but what was it exactly that we were on trial for? Well, Paul goes on a little bit in, in the end stages of chapter 5 to explain it. Now keep in mind, I'm going to be reading a lot of text here, so uh, try to follow with me, in, in, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, right? We know that that is the key to what we are on trial for. That is the evidence that the prosecution has for our lives, that, that all of us have sinned. All of us have a nature of sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there was no law. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. You know, sin actually wasn't taken into account in, in those generations before Moses. Death still reigned. People didn't have the opportunity for true life, but death still reigned. And of course, sin was in the world, but it wasn't taken into account. It wasn't put against your account. You know, earlier in, in another place in Scripture, it says that, that it was credited to Moses as, or I'm sorry, as Abraham as righteousness, which means we're kind of now talking a little bit about like an account that we have that, that almost has these checks and balances of some sort. But so death was always a part of our lives from the very beginning, but it wasn't until the law came that there was an account of sin against us. It says, um, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin, by breaking a command. You see, there was those that, that maybe never even heard a command of God and therefore couldn't break it, but yet death still reigned in their life. And they're talking of, of the, the man, Adam, who was the one who ushered in this sin, who was the one who ushered in this death, and who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. That word condemnation, that that's going to be a key word for us here today. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So that begs the question, do we reign in life? Do we, when we, when we say Jesus produces life in us, do we reign in that life? Or are there other factors that still are at play in, in our worlds that, that don't seem to be producing life? Because let's just be honest, Christians, um, if you look at m the majority of Christians in the church today, not just in the world, but m even more specifically in the United States, it doesn't look as though the church is reigning in life, meaning having, having mastery over true life. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. So, 
death reigned, the law wasn't even present yet, and, and still death reigned. Sin was clearly in the world, but yet it wasn't held to your account. It wasn't held against you. Death, death was your master in that world. In those generations, death was the ruler of this world. But as soon as the law came, sin also became the ruler of this world. In fact, it was sin and death that were now the masters that reigned over this world. And it says this, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I like I was, as I was reading through that, la- that last verse there, it was as if sin and death were in exact opposition to righteousness and life. Sin and death are in exact opposition to righteousness and life. So then I think that it's safe to say that when, when we are sinful, we're acting out of this, this frame of death. And when we are righteous, we're acting out of this frame of life. But there's condemnation in sin. And there's freedom in righteousness. So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? <laughs> By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you understand that when, when we give our lives to Christ, when, when we ask him to be our ruler, when we want him and his righteousness to reign in our life, it comes through a death to self. It comes to a, a setting aside all that, that I'm chasing after for us to take on this new life. That's what baptism represents. It represents us being buried with Christ so that we can be raised in his resurrection according to his life. But how can, So how can we live in sin any longer? It's like saying, hey, I want to live on everything on that side of my death and resurrection, and yet I keep going back to pick up the things that I died to. Or don't you know that those of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, and we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. And if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So here's the question I have for us. 
if we're freed from sin, why is it that it seems so prevalent? Why is it that even in the church, sin still seems to have so much hold on us? Well, I think it comes from one of three ways. You see, either we don't want to be free from sin because we just enjoy it too much, because we just like it too much, because, because the, the life that we want on the other side of that baptism, the life that we want on the other side of our, our walk through the, cry, through the cross it, it doesn't look quite as appealing for whatever reason. I think, first of all, the reason is, is we don't have a reality of life on that other side. We haven't, we haven't given our life yet to it because we haven't wanted to. So either we don't want to let go of this life or we don't feel like we have to let go of this life in and the other is we don't think we can let go of this life. You see, as I said last week and, and just moments ago, we were kind of all on trial as we look through the first few chapters of Romans. It looks as though we've been on trial, but, but the reality is it's not our first experience in a courtroom. That's the first time we've experienced what it is to, to be justified and walk out of the courtroom set free. But, but it wasn't our first experience in the courtroom because, because before we were even born, we were, we were tried for our sinful nature. We were tried as, as human beings, just in our humanity alone, and we were convicted. In fact, we were thrown in prison. We were, we were thrown into behind those prison doors, behind that jail, those, those prison gates that close us in. And so for the existence of our lives from that point until the, the moment that Jesus Christ sets us free, all we've experienced is what it is to be prisoners. Prisoners of this sin prisoners of this sin nature. And so for the rest of the world, I could absolutely say that, that it's, it's hard for us to blame the world for being sinful. It's hard for us to blame the world for having evil and, and, and trying to push different agendas of evil. But, but in the church, why are, we, why are we still seemingly so stuck? Because... We've never experienced what it is to live freedom. We've never experienced what it is to truly know what the life of Christ is. We've been programmed to live sinful lives. We've been programmed to live with this prisoner mindset. In fact, Romans does this beautiful job of weaving these things this mindset of, of being a prisoner forever, and, and he relates it to what it is to have a, a slave mentality. And then he goes on and relates it to what it is to, to have a fatherless mindset, to, to have an orphan mindset. And he kind of weaves these three things back together. And if that's all we've ever experienced in our life, 
do you think do you think we're going to actually know what it is to not live with that trauma tailing behind us when Jesus finally sets us free? You see, that's the beauty of Romans. Is, is he comes to show us that, that when we finally have been set free, it was in an appeal to that original trial that, that sentenced us to death. That, that put us on death row for the existence of our life until we had that advocate come in and give evidence of his love for us, to give evidence of the truth of the gospel that demands a retrial, that demands that appeal so that, that we wouldn't be sentenced to die or, or having to walk that chain gang working as a slave to this prison. But you see, that's all we've known up to this point. And the beauty of the next few chapters in Romans is, is Paul begins to lay out for us what it is to actually be set free. What it is to actually lay down that life of, of a prison mindset, lay down that slave mentality, lay down that orphan mentality and actually begin to come out of that trauma, actually begin to start operating in freedom, to know what it is so that, so that now that you've been set free, those, those prison doors, those cell doors actually slide open and, and you actually believe you don't have to stay in that prison cell that you can actually take a step out of it. And not only that, but, but he says, this prison that you've been walking in your whole life, this isn't your home either. And so he begins to walk us out of this prison. And it reminded me as I was, as I was thinking through this that Peter had an experience like this. You know, Peter actually had a number of experiences where he was thrown in prison. But, but this one in particular, I want to point us to Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. It says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side. That doesn't seem too delicate, right? Maybe he need to actually wake him up and say, say these, these doors are open for you. And he says, quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. And wrap your cloak around you and follow me the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison. And he had no idea what the angel was doing. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was actually happening. And he thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened up for them by itself and they walked through it. You see, I think that's often even though we've experienced what it is that, that Christ has come to set us free. He has come to, to save us. He has come to justify us. He's made it so that we are no longer under the death, the death sentence and those prison doors fly open. 
But most of us don't come out of the, the prison cell. Most of us think that, that that's where we belong because we've been there for so long. Or he, he tries to walk us out of the prison itself and we think, no, this, this is where I'm most comfortable. This is where I've experienced my whole life the way that life is meant to be, and so I'm almost afraid to let it go, and so I just stay in the prison. But he says in Galatians 5.1, it says, no, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now he's talking about in this specific case, he's, he's talking about going back to the ways of the law, going back to a place where you try to earn this righteousness, where, where you try to actually uh, prove to yourself that you belong set free, to prove by your, your mindset that, that you belong outside of the prison, but that will never do it. You can never escape that prison. The only way we can escape the prison is if the Holy Spirit jabs us in the side and says, the doors are open. Step out of your prison cell. You don't have to sin anymore. The prison walls are crumbling in front of you. All you have to do is step out on the other side of these walls. The Holy Spirit has to be the one to prove to us that we are free. And, and I love how Paul sets this up. He says, he says, in the same way, count yourselves then dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. It, that makes sense, doesn't it? But again, we go back to that, that question do we, do we want sin to still reign in our mortal bodies? Or do we think sin can still reign in our mortal bodies? Or do we think that we don't have in us now freedom and that we're always going to be ensnared by this death, by this sin? Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. We're not slaves to sin. In fact, he has given us mastery over that. In fact, he says the righteousness of Christ in us reigns over sin. So then it says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? That makes sense. So whether you are slaves to sin, which of course we know leads to death, or to obedience, which we know leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you are now being entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 
essentially what Paul is saying is, is whether you, you think that you can sin or somehow have to keep sinning, you're actually being set free from both. You don't, you don't have to choose one way or the other to somehow either be stuck in this rut where sin has this hold on you and, you, and sin is your slave master and you have no choice and, and you have to do everything you can to, to find a righteousness under the law or, or somehow live a life that is, is so contrary to the, the laws of God that, that you don't care whether you have sin in you or not, right? One way or the other, if, if, if you are living on one of those ways or the other, you're not living in truth. You're not living in the reality of the freedom that Paul is describing for us here. He uses this slavery analogy because, because he knows that his audience is going to understand what he's talking about. A little bit of the backdrop of Rome in that day was the Roman Empire, and, and even specifically Rome itself, it was built on the back of slavery. It, there, there were as many as 60% of the workforce of Rome was slavery or indentured servitude. And even the majority of that, they suggest, is slavery itself. So, so he understands that, that the people group he's speaking of, they're going to know what that mindset, that, that slave mentality functions like. And so he begins to, to set us free from this, this parallel analogy of the, the slave master of sin and the slave master of the law itself that actually empowers that sin against us. And so he goes on, in chapter 7, and he begins to lay out for us this, this battle that takes place in our hearts. Remember, remember I, said, I said that there's a reason that we don't in the church experience the freedom that Paul speaks of here. And, and I think it's because, you know, we either don't want to, we don't think we have to, or, or we don't think we can. And Paul is about to debunk all of that for us in chapter 7. And so I'm going to read a large portion here for you. Starting in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law. Okay, so put your mind right there. He's speaking to a, a, a Jewish-believing sect of this church in Rome. He, you know, there's there's always this battle between these fundamental believers in Jesus, these legalistic believers in Jesus that think they have to follow the law in order to even be Christian. I think we have that even today, don't we? We, we have churches and denominations that, that are very fundamental in their, in their mindset, believe that there is a, a righteousness that they still have to um, prove in their work. And, um, and, and that's what we like to call legalism. And so he is, he's speaking directly to these Gentile believers that have been persuaded 
to have to follow this law still, to have to follow this circumcision, to still have to, to, to follow all of the ordinance of, of what the law put on. And so he's very much speaking to those believers. He says, do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law. That, that clarifies that right there. That the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that, that you might belong to another. <laughs> Do you know he's very much speaking about Christ here? He's saying, so because the law is, is dead now in your heart, because it no longer needs to be something that, that owns you or that, that, that ma- has mastery over you, you can become another's in marriage. He's speaking about Christ. He says that you might belong to another, to him, to Jesus, who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God, the original reason for marriage. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. Like the sinful passions, they were aroused by the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. I found it really interesting. This is the first time this has ever really stood out to me that Paul was very specifically still carrying on that same theme of adultery when he gets to coveting. Because the law points out to him that, that coveting is sin. But then the law aroused that sin in him that led it into this relationship-destroying adultery. That's why it's so important for us to, to understand that, that sin, it bears fruit for death everywhere we go. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. But did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might actually be recognized as sin. You see, we're coming into a a passage that that many of us like to 
to utilize. And, and, and in some ways, we like to excuse ourselves and, and justify our own sin. Because this is that, that infamous passage that, that we think Paul says, I, 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 do, what I, I, I do what I don't want to do, and, and the thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. I'll read it here in a second. But we read it as though he's speaking from a place of a Christian. We're, we read it as though we're speaking, or he's writing as though he's, he's writing just from the place of where he's at currently, but, but that's the wrong context. The context is, is he's writing from the place he used to lie. He's writing from the place that he used to live from under the law, under the sin of death, under the law that, that arouses that sin within him. And so he goes on, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, and I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. <laughs> and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. You see, Paul is saying, these two, these two masters over me, the, this, this master of sin over me and this master of slavery over me, this, this, this uh, slave master of the law and this slave master of sin, they're at work together in, my, in our lives if we continue to want to strive to, to live by the law or if we somehow don't believe that, that we can step out of that prison or that we can step out of, of the, the whips, out from under the whips of our slave master. No, Paul is not speaking from a place of a believer in Jesus. He's speaking from the place of this old law, of the sin nature that works in conjunction with this old law. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord has saved me from that battle of sin, has saved me from that battle of, of legalistic self-righteousness. 
He saved me from this battle that, that when I try to live and attain some sort of righteousness on my own, that the sin nature is just empowered more against me. You want to know why, why we feel like we're trapped, why we feel like this sin has a power over me, why we feel like we, we can't seem to get out from under the, the, the power of this master over me is because we keep looking to the wrong master to save us. We keep looking to the law that we just try harder, we just work harder, and somehow we will attain this, this freedom that we think we deserve. No, the more we try to live righteous on our own merit, the more we empower that sin against us. That's the trap. That's why for those of us who want to come out of the prison cell, we don't believe we actually can. But Jesus says to Paul, and Paul says to us, therefore, Therefore, this is the therefore of all therefores. This is the foundation of all foundations. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. He has set me free. For what the law was powerless to do, there is the proof. There is the proof that what I'm saying is truth. That what the law is powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son. God did. God made you righteous. God made me righteous. Not only did he remove the guilt from my life in that retrial of all retrials, not only did he, did he make it so that the, 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 prison, the, the prison cell doors would fly open, not only did he make it so that the prison walls would crumble down, but he also, he also made it so that, that in my new heart, I could actually believe I am free. So that even though that, that prison cell is open, even though that those prison walls are fallen, I don't have to stay in that cell as though I don't think I belong outside of it. I don't have to stay in that prison as though I don't belong on the other side of those walls. You see, Jesus, he puts a righteous heart in us through our death through our laying down our lives so that he can be our master, so that righteousness can be our Lord, so that we can chase after the things that he says we can because our hands are no longer cuffed behind us and tied up behind us. See, but so many of us still believe that even though Jesus has untied those ropes behind us or, or unchained our hands behind our back or unchained the, the, our ankles, that our hands are just still stuck behind our back because we don't believe we are free. We don't actually believe that the prison walls have fallen down. We don't actually believe that the prison cell doors are open. And so we don't think we can be free from sin. We don't think we can be free from guilt. We don't think we can be free from shame. But we can. Because the condemnation 
has been erased, not only from our soul and our heart, but he says, I want, it to be, I want you to be set free in your mind. I want you to actually stop functioning out of the trauma and out of the mindset of a prisoner. I want you to stop operating out of the mindset of a slave. I want you to stop operating out of the mindset of shame and guilt and all of those identities that the enemy just keeps screaming back at you. You don't belong on the other side of those walls, but you do because you have been set free. Those who live according to the sinful nature, they just have their minds set on the sinful nature. We'll get to a word on that in a couple of weeks. It says, the mind of the sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And that's where we are set free. That's where we not only think that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our salvation, but when we actually begin to operate out of the fact that freedom is part of our salvation. Freedom here on this earth. You hear us say often in our church that here at Found Church you will find freedom you will find freedom when you find faith. So you find faith. You find faith in the true gospel. You find faith in the, the fullness of this gospel message that, that not only are you justified, that this guilt is pulled off of you, that, that Jesus pulls the guilt off of you, but then he puts a righteousness in our heart. And then he also gives us an understanding of what it is to operate as a son or a daughter. Because we're no longer orphans. We no longer have to operate in the mindset of an orphan who always wonders what it's like to have a father, who is always walking around trying to protect themselves and, and struggles to trust anything. But part of our salvation is learning to trust our father because we are now no longer orphans, but we are sons and daughters. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It can't please God. But when we are able to operate from a place of freedom and from a place of a son or a daughter, we will actually be able to love the way that God has designed us to love. But we have to first understand what it is to be free. So you find faith in the true gospel. You will find freedom. You'll understand that you can walk out of those prison walls and that you can operate from a place of freedom so that you can actually go and love those that we are called to love. Father God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for what you have called us to. It's to freedom. I thank you that we are no longer condemned to die. That we are, we are not under the death sentence. 
but we are actually set free, that we can actually walk out of the prison doors, that we can actually walk out of the prison walls, that we can actually know that there's no guards after us. There, there are, there are, there's nobody chasing us down to pull us back into that prison, that we actually get to walk in freedom. And Lord, I pray that as we begin to experience what real freedom is, that we are no longer condemned to die, that we can actually operate from a mindset of freedom so that we are able to love as you would love, so that we are able to respond to those that are still trapped in slavery, for those that are still trapped in the prisons of sin and still trapped in the prisons of of fundamentalism or legalism, Lord the thing that actually empowers the sin against them. So Father, I pray for us at Found Church and for any of those that are listening today that they would begin to understand that you have true life for us. True life that comes with peace and joy through any circumstance, through any trial. Lord, that we would know what it is to follow in your footsteps of love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We just want you to know that you are now a part of our Found Church family. And you are always welcome at Found Church. We've been worshiping at the middle school at Parkside at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And we cannot wait until we're able to meet back there again. We would also love to hear how God has touched your heart today. If you feel God speaking into your heart in a fresh new way, or believe God to be revealing a new truth to you, or giving you a higher resolution in which to recognize Him, we would love to talk with you and pray with you. Just message us on Facebook or email us at areyoufound.com. And this is my prayer for you today that this has raised a hope in your heart and helped you to find faith, find freedom, and find the love of God to be overwhelming and real. Be well. God bless.